In this episode, Jenny Stone, a partner at RBP, and Luke Kirkham, a senior accounts manager, will be discussing the end-of-year Type 1 and Type 2 pension certificates. They confirm who will be required to complete these, together with common issues and queries that arise with PCSE. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello and welcome to this episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Jenny Stone, one of the partners at RBP, and I'm joined today with Luke, who is one of our senior accounts manager. He also heads up our superannuation team. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the end of year superann certificates that GPs are required to submit. Hi, Luke. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Are you all ready for February, our crazy busy pension season, isn't it? Absolutely. It seems to be that January we get through our tax returns and February straight into superannuation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start with a very basic question. Who is actually required to submit an end of year pension certificate? So that would be anyone that's actually a member of the pension scheme. So we have our type two certificates that are for salaried GPs and they would be in a practice and an employed post and therefore they'd have to complete a type two certificate. But also we have our GP partners who have to complete a type one certificate and that's GP partners. But also we do have some non-GP partners such as nurses or practice managers and they'd have to complete a type one certificate as well. No, that's great. And I think what you tend to find is accountants will complete the type one. I think it's fair to say, isn't it? Some salary GPs ask us to complete the type twos. But I also know that there's very much a lack of understanding with salary GPs, the importance of completing a type two. So if you've been a salary GP at a practice, you need to be doing an end of year certificate. If you're just a locum and you only locum and you do the locum A and B forms and you have no salaried role, then you do not need to complete a certificate. Now, Luke, can I just ask, what's the deadline for submission? So we work off the tax return. So the submission for the superannuation certificates is the end of February. So we sort of get February to be able to process them using the figures from the tax returns that are submitted at the end of January. Yeah. And just to say that there isn't actually a penalty for submitting late. So we are spending quite a lot of time, aren't we, Luke, trying to still get old certificates resubmitted. There isn't a penalty. But obviously what PCSE says, as long as they've had the certificate by the 28th of Feb, then in theory, it should be processed by them ready to produce a total reward in August. That's correct. And I think that the way that it was going to work is that they were going to try and process any shortfall for the end of March so that we could get the tax relief in the tax year. But I think that deadline has been changed so that it's actually they'll process it by the middle of May and then it will come out on your total reward statement later in the year. Yes. And I think for a lot of our clients, they were the summertime, weren't they, that we were seeing the shortfalls and being deducted. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth covering just because obviously I know when I see new GP partners. Actually, Luke, can you just talk us through how superannuation is calculated and how it is paid for GP partners? So they work through deducting the superannuation in a similar way to that they do with tax, that they'll take payments on account. But instead of it being at two points in the year, they take payments on account on a monthly basis 
from the monthly statement that the practice has. And they'll take those deductions based on the estimate that's provided to them at the start of the year. So they'll calculate what your profits are, divide that by 12, and then calculate what superannuation you owe on that monthly figure. And that will be a deduction that's taken from you every month via the practice. Then when we process the certificate at the end of February, they'll go through and process that certificate. And if there is a shortfall or if there's a refund that's due to come back to you, then that adjustment will also go through the monthly statement of the practice. And as Jenny said, last year it was in the summertime, so around sort of June or July time, that you should be noticing that there's those bigger adjustments at the bottom of your monthly statement, as well as your normal monthly payments on account for the following year. There will be obviously different tier rates that doctors have to pay, depending on the level of your earnings. But if you put in on the estimate what your figure is going to be, then they'll make sure that they deduct at the correct tier rate. It also means that if you have a large shortfall that's going to come out, you need to be careful of cash flow within the practice because it could be that every single partner in the practice has got a large shortfall that's coming out, which if in your June or July statement, there's a large amount that's going to be deducted, that's going to hit your cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. And I know when we go and see practices, we do provisions for those shortfalls and then we do advise clients. And obviously, because we've had you know a couple of years where profits have increased because of COVID support money or COVID vaccine money, some of those shortfalls have been much larger than they would otherwise normally be. So yeah, a cash making sure you know what's going to be deducted is really important from a cash flow point of view. Luke, is it worth just mentioning? Because I know I get asked sometimes, I think there's obviously probably more new GP partners where there's a lack of understanding about employees and employers and what they pay. So I don't know whether do you want to just mention about the employer's pension contributions as well? Yeah, it is a little bit confusing because if you were a salaried GP before, obviously you'd only be worried about the employee's contribution because that'd be your amount that you'd be having deducted from your pay and that's what you'd be paying over. With the new GP contract that came in, the employer's element was actually transferred over to GP partners. There was funding that was put into the global sum for it, but that's obviously been lost over time. But it is that it's a responsibility of all the GP partners. So it's not just your employee's amount that you're having to pay over. It's also the employer's amount. So the figures that we're talking about are a lot higher. However, The flip side is that you do also get the tax relief on the employer's payments that you make as well. So it's not that you're just paying out 28%, 29% of your earnings and not getting any tax relief on it, but it is the employer's becomes your liability, the same as the employee's as a GP partner. Yeah. And I think it's just important to make that point because I think when you move from being a local or salary GP to a partner, you're kind of used to paying employees. And then suddenly you've got to think of if you're paying sort of the top tier rates, which obviously those tier rates have changed in October. So the top tier rate is now 13.5% for employees, but the employers on top of that is 14.38%. And just to mention that the employer's contribution has gone up to, it's about 20.6%, but at the moment, moment for GP practices, the difference between the 20% and the 14% of the the extra 6% is being centrally funded. I think that's supposed to be centrally funded until the end of this year or end of March 23. So we just need to wait to see what's going to happen going forward on that. But if you're a partner, whether it's a GP partner or non-clinical partner, you're paying both employees and employers contributions on your pensionable profits. 
Now, Luke, you and your team are always busy getting all those certificates completed and submitted. So we obviously send our clients the certificates and we often just say to them, can you just check you're happy with it before we submit it to PCSE? Although the type one certificate is a 14 page certificate and it's very complex. I think it gets quite impossible to check. But we get quite a lot of common questions that arise from our clients. I just wonder whether it's helpful to just chat through some of the things that we get asked just so that if you are somebody who's going to get your certificate and want to look at it, it might be helpful to understand sort of some of those questions. Yeah, it is a much longer document than it used to be. And I think that lots of GPs receive the certificate from us and get asked to have a look over it. And they're a bit daunted by the fact that there's all of this information that they've never really looked at before. And because we've asked the question, they want to come back to us and make sure that they're actually responding and asking something. The problem is that sometimes the questions that they ask are very simple to explain to them. And it's not anything that they really need to worry about. So the biggest one that we normally find is that on the first page of the document is all their personal information. So that tends to be all okay. But the second page of the document, the first number in the first box is always the income that you earn, not the profit that you earn. So you look at the first number and see that it says 1.2 million. And all of a sudden, somebody says, I bet I didn't earn 1.2 million. That can't be right. And they don't get any further into the certificate. We'll get a phone call or an email that comes straight back to us and that asks the question. So it's just to realize that you need to look through the certificate as a whole. And box one is always a big number. It always starts off as income because to get to your profit, you have to take off your expenses that comes later in the certificate. So if you get through onto the pages further on, then you'll see that box 20 is actually where your profit figure is. And that should tie into what your tax return says. So definitely make sure that you look through the whole document and don't just get put off by the fact that there's a large number in there. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely the one that we get asked straight away, isn't it? Because I think the structure of the certificate is, and those boxes are there for determining non-NHS income and expenses, but you literally have to go, this is the income first, this is the expenses, and then it's profit. So although you're paying super and pensionable profit, the certificate takes quite a long while before we get to that figure. Absolutely. And I think that the first sort of three or four pages are figures that they're never going to have been seen before by the GPs that are reviewing them. Because after you go on to income, you get onto your non-HS income and that's your share of the practice income rather than being anything that you've done personally. And that's another thing that tends to get queried is that it might be another large number, but it's because it's to do with anything that's gone through the practice. So it's to do with any service charges that you've received or private fees and everything else that goes through the practice. So that, again, is another one. It's almost that we want to tell people to start looking at page four rather than start at the start of the certificate when they're reviewing it. So definitely to review the certificate as a whole and make sure that you're not just looking at numbers and getting afraid that things are completely wrong until you've got through all of it. But it is good to have the dialogue and for people to come back to us and ask us questions because I'd rather they ask us now when we're processing the certificate rather than if there's a massive shortfall that's collected later on and they didn't know about it. So I'm happy to have the dialogue and have people ask us the questions. It's just nice to sometimes give them the information so that they can answer some of those questions beforehand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I get often asked, so when someone's received a certificate, they will actually get through it and then they'll suddenly see like a large shortfall on the page that is shown. And then, of course, one of the questions is, have I got to pay this money? So we get asked that. But your shortfalls are normally always provided in the account. So if we're doing your accounts and if we don't act for you, it's worth checking with the practice accountant. Has the shortfall been provided? Yeah, and I think that those numbers 
can sometimes look quite large, but as you say, we've normally provided for them in the accounts. If there is a difference between what's been provided in the accounts and what the actual certificate shows, we will tend to try and get in touch with the GP just to let them know the reason why there's a difference. As obviously when we prepare the accounts, it is only an estimate that we're going to put in there. And there may be things that are going on with that GP that's outside of our control at the time of preparing the accounts that will have an effect on the shortfall that actually ends up being payable when we produce the certificate. So it's going to be that the figure that we put in the accounts may not always be 100% accurate, but we will always let you know if there's going to be a big difference between what we've provided previously and what the certificate is actually showing. No, absolutely. Because when we're doing the accounts, the certificate hasn't even been released. So any changes to that can impact also on the shortfall, can't it? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is it worth, Luke, having a chat through... I know this gets complicated, so just about non-NHS income and the impact that has on pensionable profit figures and how that works in terms of expenses. Should we just have a quick chat about on that? Yeah, that's fine. The non-NHS income has always been an issue, I think, that we were trying to work out with the certificate when it first came out, was to try and make sure that the pensionable profit figure that we came down to at the end was a true reflection of what the NHS pensionable profits were going to be. So anything that wasn't NHS that was received in, we were trying to make sure that we split that out and didn't pension too high a figure for GPs. And we made sure that the non-NHS side of things was taken away. Obviously, if we take out the NHS income, we need to look at the non-NHS expenses as well, because if a practice earns money from sources that aren't NHS, there will be associated expenses in the practice accounts as well. So we do have to go through a whole process of finding out what the non-NHS income is and then do a calculation to work out the percentages and then add back some expenses to make sure that we're not taking out too much income and we are making sure that the final figure that we get down to for the NHS pension will pay is a true reflection. It can have a lot of different effects and it does depend on how much non-NHS work your practice does. And it could also be that if you're doing work outside of the practice, that that may also have an effect if it's not NHS pensionable work too. So it's not as simple and straightforward as just looking at your practice and the figures that we come to calculate for the non-NHS side of things do tend to vary quite significantly if you have got lots of outside earnings as well. No, absolutely. And it's worth maybe just mentioning that we're sort of talking about GP partners submit a type one pension certificate, but that certificate isn't just your partnership income. We have to include absolutely all of your income as a GP. So if you're doing a whole load of private work for whatever reason, we have to add that onto the certificate, even though it's not pensionable. And then this is where Luke is saying we have to do these adjustments to remove what is non-NHS income. And then we have to remove an element of expenses. So So all I would probably say is if you've got a lot of non-NHS income, then your certificate goes through certain sort of a different process than rather just the standard sort of method. So, Luke, once we get through to the end of the certificates and the clients confirm they're happy for us to submit and we submit that all through to PCSE. And I would say that for all of our clients, we do this for them. So we will submit it to PCSE. PCSE then start processing them. And then what may happen is some get processed and that's all great. But then there are obviously certificates that then get rejected by PCSE. So we've put on all the data 
PCSE get it and then they may reject it. And then what happens is a case would come back to you to say, we've tried to process it, but there's this reason why we can't. Can you maybe talk through some of the common reasons that we get certificates rejected? Yeah, it tends to be that when we get something come back from PCSE, the main issue that they tend to have is that there's differences between what we say are the contributions that have been paid on account and what they've got a record of. So if we've worked through the accounts and we think that you've had £20,000 deducted for your employees on account and PCSE will come back and say, no, you haven't had £20,000, you've only had £15,000. They'll send us an email and they give us a grid that says what they think the figures are and what we think the figures are. And going forward on PCSE Online, it does seem that they've got an employee contribution statement that you should be able to access and pass over to us that should then prove on a monthly basis what the figures that PCSE hold, which is a lot better than it has been previously, because it used to be that they'd just give us figures and we wouldn't know how they calculated those figures. The problem that we sometimes have at the moment is that even though we get an employee contribution statement from you, it still doesn't reflect what we've seen and what we've allocated when we've done the accounts on a month-by-month basis. So those issues that we have, we then have to go back to PCSE and it does seem to be quite a long, drawn-out process to try and marry up the figures that they have shown on account and the figures that we've got on account. So that's probably the main area where we have issues at the moment of reasons for rejection in terms of current certificates. In terms of older certificates, there has been an issue, and I think that there's been an exercise that PCSE have been working through to do with GP Solo. And GP Solo is a way of collecting contributions from you on income that you're earning that isn't through the practice. So it used to be that it was set up for things like GP appraisals yeah. and other ad hoc items that the CCG or PCT even were going to be paying across to you. And it means that they could deduct pension from you at source and therefore you wouldn't have to worry about dealing with it. It's taken a different route recently as lots of salaried posts have been switched over to being that they are actually handled via GP Solo. So if you have a CCG post that's an employment post, then it could be that that's being deducted via GP Solo, which means that they should be providing you with a GP Solo form at the end of the year as well. And it's the same as with the employee contribution statements. The issue with GP Solo is that the records that PCSE hold and the information that we've received from yourselves or the information that you've even received doesn't marry up. And there's an issue with making sure that they correspond to each other. And I think that it's a difficult process to try and make sure that those two figures match each other up because there's lots of different stakeholders involved. So the CCG have to report to PCSE the deductions that they've taken on account and paid over to them. The doctor has to know that they've received that money and it's been paid over to PCSE. And if we can get the accountants, PCSE, the CCG and everybody on the same page, then the certificate can be processed. But at the moment, I think that the historic GP solo problems, especially around 2018-19 and prior to that, is where we haven't actually got that process completed yeah. yet. 
Yeah, I mean, GP solo has been a massive problem. And I think for anybody that has GP solo income, I think what's so important is that you receive a GP solo form from that organisation you're working for. So I know only this week I've been dealing with a client and we've been trying for the last two years to get her pension record sorted. It might actually even be longer than that. And it's all around. She's provided us with GP solo forms and we've completed her certificate with all the actual figures. But when it's been submitted to PCSE, they don't have a record of any of the GP solo. And what's happened is these organisations haven't actually sent these GP solo forms. Whether they've made the payment, I don't know. So it takes a long time to marry this up. So I think what's really important is if you've got any income where you've had super and deducted at source with with GP solo is we need to have the copy of the solo form. So at least we've got that on record and we know those figures are correct. The contribution issue has still with some people, isn't it, Luke? It's an ongoing battle. I think we're still trying to sort out one of our practices from a year ago where we obviously analyse all the PCSE statements. We can see what the deductions are, but it is not agreeing to their employee statements because figures have been put in incorrectly. So again, I think what's really important, we certainly ask all of our clients is send us over your employee statements because that's what the figure PCSE are using. And we can at least compare that to what we know has been deducted. And there are, you know, sometimes we have new partners where they've joined in the year, no super has been deducted. So as far as we can see, there's been no deductions. But then what happens is PCC do a whole load of late adjustments, which we haven't necessarily got the information for. So that could be another reason why there's sort of differences. I think one thing that we need to point out as well to salary GPs that become GP partners is that they have to make sure that the process of transferring on a performance list from salary GP to partner is a really important thing to do because PCSE will not register you as a partner. And if we try and submit a type one certificate when you're not on the performance list as a partner, it just will not get processed. So that is a really important process to make sure that on the performance list, you're updating it as and when you either move post or if you're moving within a practice from salary GP to partner or the other way around. Yeah, because we've had situations, haven't we, Luke, where we've had practices where they've been the salary GP. So the practice manager can see Superan is being deducted, but they don't realise what, what PCC seem to do is if that's Superan for a salary GP, they're allocating that as being type two deductions. But if they become a partner, they're not taking any partner deductions. And like you say, they're not processing the certificate. So again, all of these problems lead to certificates not getting processed on time, pension records not being updated. That means you don't get annual allowance information and it all has a massive knock-on impact. So it's really important that certificates are completed in a timely manner, submitted and dealt with. So if you ever get any emails from PCSE saying we're trying to process your certificate, but we can't, if your clients of ours, please always forward them to us so that we can then look at them and deal with them. Luke, can I ask you a question? So obviously we have lots of GPs that opt out of the NHS pension scheme. Do they still need to complete a certificate? If you're in the pension scheme for even a day in any given pension year between April and March, then yes, you do. If you aren't in the pension scheme for any time during that year, then no, you don't have to complete a certificate for that given year. So some people may opt in for a four-month period that overlaps sort of two months of one year and two months of another year. We need to do certificates for both of those years. 
But the way that it works is that you're obviously not going to pay pension on the whole year's worth of profits. We need to work out a pro rata amount for the number of days that you're in the scheme. So we'll still do the calculation that works out what your annual pensionable profits are, but we'll only actually put through on a pension certificate the amount that relates to the period that you're in the scheme. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also if you're opting in and out, I think it's really important just to tell us, your accountants, the dates that you opt in and the dates you opt out. Because when we're doing those certificates, we need to know what those exact dates are. The super end deductions that PCC take don't necessarily always follow the actual dates you're opting in and out. You can opt out easily on PCSE online, but there's not a form for you to opt back in. So you have to raise a case. So you may say, I want to be opted back in on the 1st of Feb, but PCC might not start deductions until April. So it's really important that we know those dates. We have lots of fun and games, don't you, Luke, with opting in and out with uh, everybody that's doing the hokey cokey at the moment with the pension scheme. It is an ongoing process. And I think more and more people are looking at doing it as we sort of look at earnings and them not wanting to have as high earnings, but still wanting to be in a pension scheme. So yeah, there's lots of people that are doing more frequent opt-in and opt-out. Yes. But I think that the forms with PCSE, you need to make sure that you get those dates verified by them because there's lots of cases in the past where we've been told that the doctor has opted out of the scheme, but because it's not actually been sent off and verified, it's not actually happened. So once you get confirmation back to you, then that means that it's going to happen. I had one the other day where somebody tried to opt out of the pension scheme And they were told that they couldn't do it because they had old pension certificates that were out of date. So it seems to be that they're putting everything together to try and make sure everyone's pension's record up to date. Until you get that done, you can't actually do anything current. So it's more and more of an issue for you to make sure that your pension record's up to date. So that then if you do make decisions, that you can actually do something now if your pension record's up to date. I know. I've not heard that one before, Luke. And the other thing just to mention, just to link back, we did record a podcast with Ollie, who's an IFA. So we did talk about opting in and out. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, should I be opting in and out of the pension scheme? Just maybe go back and listen to that podcast, because on that one, we cover annual allowance and all the tax issues with being in the pension scheme. So, Luke, we've talked quite a bit about type one certificates for GP partners. I just wonder whether we can just touch on type two certificates, which is what salary GPs are supposed to do. I know, as I said, there's very much a lack of understanding from salary doctors that they have to do type twos. I know when I see new partners join and we're trying to get total award statements quite often, and I say to them, well, were you doing type twos as a salaried? And they're like, I didn't know I had to. So can I just ask you, who is actually responsible for submitting the type two certificates? So it has changed over the years. And I think that's where lots of the confusions come from. The person that's responsible is the actual salaried GP. And actually what PCSE have started calling the type two certificate now is a self-assessment form. So if tax is anything to go by, then that tax return is a self-assessment form. So if you see the type two certificate as a self-assessment form now, then that means that it is the salary GP's responsibility and they need to make sure that at the end of each year, they're submitting the information. It is a much more simple and straightforward certificate than the type one. It's only a three-page document. And actually, one of those pages is your personal information. And the other one is just collating all the information together that you've received as a salary GP or through GP solo in the year. It's not as daunting. It's not as difficult as the type one certificate, but it is your responsibility to be able to make sure that it is processed every year. It's not down to the practice manager. 
it's not down to the practice accountant to be able to deal with this for you. And your pension record won't get updated unless you do that type two certificate. So salaried GPs need to realise that they have got that responsibility to make sure it's processed on an annual basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where salaried GPs don't realise because they're getting paid their payslip, their taxes dealt with and deducted. They can see that they've got a pension deduction from their pay. So in their minds, they're like, well, I'm paying my pension. It's going into my pension. But until you actually submit that certificate, you will not have your earnings recorded on your pension record. So, you know, you could be a salaried GP for four years and you'll have no information if you've never submitted a type two certificate. So I know when I go around to see my practices, I always stress to them that although it's not their responsibility, they need to be telling their salaried doctors they should be doing this every year. And it is really important. And to be honest, the purpose of the type two certificate is just to make sure you've paid the correct employees to your rate because your employer might have deducted, you know, at one rate, but then if you add in other income or another employment, it should be a higher tier rate. So the actual point of it is to check you've paid the right tier rate. But actually, until that's been processed by PCSE, that information doesn't get transferred onto your pension record. And so we have lots of problems where salary doctors haven't done this for years and their pension records are incomplete. All I would also say is that you can go back and complete earlier years. So they put on all the forms. This has been a requirement since so 2009-10, Luke, I think type twos. I think salary so doctors, the first time you had to complete a type two certificate is 2009. 10. So if at any point you've been a salary GP and not done this, you'll need to go back and do it. Can I just ask you, because I think we get asked this from a practice manager point of view, is what happens? So if the salary doctors have done their certificates, they get submitted to PCSE, what happens when there's an adjustment? So if there's a shortfall on there, if the salary GP has done their form and there's a shortfall of contributions, how does that all get reconciled? So any adjustment that goes through on a monthly statement for salaried GPs pension deductions is actually the reconciliation process between PCSE and the practice. It's got nothing to do with the salaried GP. So it's just PCSE making sure that they've taken the right money from the practice for that salaried GP. You will need to, as a practice manager, get the type 2 certificate from the salaried GP to make sure that you can then look at the figures on the type 2 certificate to see if there's anything that the salary GP owes the practice or even if the practice owes the salary GP a balance of money as well. So it's always important to get that type 2 certificate from the salary GP once everything's been processed just to tidy up that year, finish it off and move forward to the next year. No, absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I had a client who said to me, oh, Jenny, they've done a shortfall for one of the salary GPs of about £6,000. And they'd then contacted the salary GP to say, you owe us £6,000. But actually, that wasn't what the GP owed. It was simply because PCC hadn't taken the right deductions. So I always, like you say, you've got to get a copy of that type two. The only reason the salary doctor is going to owe you money is if you use the wrong tier rate. So if you're using a lower tier rate and then the certificate turns out it should be a higher tier rate, then they're going to owe you that money back or vice versa if it's a refund. I do think that it's important for the practice managers to have that conversation with the salary GP because there are some occasions where it may be a a massively different tier rate that's being deducted on the payslip. We had a case with one of the practices a long time ago where it was a new practice manager in post who had been deducting £12.50 instead of 12.5%. Which obviously has quite a knock-on effect in terms of the amount that the doctor's going to have to pay back at the end of the year. So it's worth having that conversation on an annual basis with your salary GPs 
you know, going into the new year, making sure that everything's still up to date and the deductions are correct and you're both happy with it because it's all very well putting the deductions through that you think, but if the salary GP isn't actually looking at it because they're just assuming that you're dealing with everything for them, then they need to have that wake-up call to say that there needs to be that discussion between the practice manager and the salary GP. Yeah, and that's all really part of the estimate of pensionable profit. So practice managers will know they'll get an email from PCSE saying it's time to submit the certificate and also the estimate of pensionable profit, which has to be submitted by the 1st of March. And that's where you'll put down not only what the pensionable profit is going to be for the partners, and normally you'll come back and ask the accountant those numbers, but you also have to put the salary GP and then you have to set the tier rate. So as Luke is saying, it's worth checking with your salary GPs. Is the tier rate correct or do they have other earnings that would have impact on the tier rates. And really, just as a final, is the importance of getting all these certificates done and submitted and processed is so that your pension record is correct. So what PCC say is if they process the certificates by by May, that then your total reward will be all reflected in your total reward for August. So it is really important to kind of, you know, if there are any issues still to be resolved, to get that all submitted. And I always advise clients, download your total reward statement each year and just check that it's been up to date. Luke, thank you so much. That's been really helpful. And good luck for all those pension certificates that need to be completed. Thank you. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting month, busy month, but hopefully each year it gets a little bit easier and doctors are a little bit more clued up on what they need to do. No, absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. If you found it useful, please share it with your colleagues and like and subscribe. Thank you. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.